So normally I come up with concepts for every episode, but somebody reached out to me about something that caught my eye. The upper limit problem, how we unconsciously set ourselves up to fail as a way of confirming our ideas of who and how we should be. I know that feeling well. I know that feeling when I eat a bag of flaming hot Cheetos and in the next few hours I will switch from being curled up in bed with a heating pad on my stomach to fighting for my life in the bathroom. I also know that feeling in my personal life when I catch myself feeling painfully alone yet I decide not to reach out to anyone or when I go stalk that one person I have blocked social media, even though I know it will make me feel like shit. But it's more than normal self-sabotage. It's self-sabotage for the purpose of fueling existing insecurities and anxieties. Dr. Gay Hendricks coined this term in his 2009 book, The Big Leap, and word for word, Hendricks defines the upper limit problem as our universal human tendency to sabotage ourselves when we have exceeded the artificial upper limit we have placed on ourselves. He described the process of this problem as when things start to go downhill for someone, they feel as if they have hit their limit. Therefore, they sabotage themselves until they return to a comfortable state. But enough about that guy. This episode's guest is the person who sent me that thought-provoking message, Dr. Ann Metz. Nice to meet you, and by all means, feel free to call me Ann. So I am a counseling professor, and I also have a small private practice where I focus on providing psychedelic-assisted psychotherapy for folks who are interested in pursuing that form of treatment. Um, I've worked as a th therapist in outpatient settings. I've also worked in emergency rooms and um, community mental health settings, so have pretty wide wide range and um, just really love working with adults, particularly young adults. So your podcast was really interesting to me. Yeah, I think we're a pretty interesting generation, a pretty interesting group of people. What you reached out to me specifically to talk about was the upper limit problem. Can you define what the upper limit problem is? Yeah, sure. So, um, you know, when you, I saw this, your, your podcast that it was on failure and the idea of failure. And um, you had this great question, which was what new do you have to add to the conversation? And I think one of the things that I think about when I think about failure is this idea of self-sabotage. And kind of key to that idea is this idea of the uh, upper limit problem. So just to define that simply, uh, the upper limit problem is really the idea that it, in each of our lives, there's a perceived cap on uh, how much career success, happiness, love, wealth, and kind of other things that we really allow ourselves to have. And once we really bump up against that limit and start to exceed our limit, uh, that limit that we have in our mind, our unconscious really begins to bring us back into reality where we get kicked down a notch so that we're more in that zone where we're comfortable, even if that includes some amount of dissatisfaction, unhappiness. 
And the uh, upper limit problem really, uh, we kind of came by that naturally in our childhood when we were growing up. We uh, maybe had a family rule about how successful we were supposed to be or how happy we were supposed to be. Uh, And so when we're adults and we're beginning to embark on our own lives and we start to get close to the sort of upper part of that limit, uh, we do things to self-sabotage. Maybe we get sick, we get in arguments, we have accidents, uh, we get fired from jobs, uh, other negative events uh, disrupt our progress. Yeah, so that's a big part of it. I think for when we're talking about failure is this idea that each of us have this set point where we're most comfortable. Yeah. How does the upper limit problem affect mental health? I think it's almost like they maintain one another. So, um, you know, we start to feel healthier and better and uh, the upper limit problem kind of erupts and then something goes wrong and we start to feel crappy again. And so it's this self-perpetuating system that tries to keep us in the same place. Uh, And it becomes very threatening, I think, to the ego, to the unconscious when we start to sort of feel better about ourselves and we notice that our lives are improving uh, and then we start to do things to make things worse. So homeostasis is a big part of of all of our lives, of all of our family systems, of the culture that we live in, and that we really do our best to resist change. Have you ever experienced the upper limit problem in your life? Yeah. (laughs) I think that's why I'm so interested in it is because when I read this idea, it just immediately resonated with what my own experience was. And I'm happy to go into that, but I'd also am curious if this was an idea that connected with your own experience. Maybe you could start by telling us about how it connected with you. I think it really connected with me because in my first episode of the podcast, I talk about how I ended up losing my job and losing my relationship. And I think for me around the time that I got dumped and was in like a new city to me, I didn't really have friends. I didn't really have anyone. The only thing that was holding me down was this job. And after the breakup happened, I feel like I just put so much energy into that and didn't really care about my work. And that ended up just with me being not as good of an employee. Mm. And then obviously that affected my performance. And that's why I don't work there anymore. But I will say having kind of the expectations that this new city that I'm in, I don't really have any friends. Why should I work to do well at my job? Why should I, you know, work to make my home a safe environment? Why should I Hmm. work on finding new activities to meet other friends when I could just sleep all day and sit in my room and give a half-assed effort at work? Yeah. So there was a piece of that that really resonated with my own experience. And it was sort of the idea of feeling like you kind of are putting all of your eggs in one basket. And I think that having really high expectations in one aspect of your life can make you particularly vulnerable to the upper limit problem in that arena. So for me, you know, I was raised in a family that really emphasized the importance of being in a, you know, traditional heteronormative relationship and to get married and things like that. And so, you know, when I was growing up, there's a lot of pressure to be pretty, be smart, be in a relationship, be attractive, be funny, be clever. And so when I got to adulthood, 
that was really the area where I just felt like I had to seek my, my esteem needs. Like I was looking for relationships to kind of fill this hole that I had where I didn't necessarily understand what my value was. I didn't really love myself in a true way. And I just expected these relationships one after another, when of course they fail to kind of give me a sense of meaning in my life and a sense of value and answer the problem of me. Uh, and so that really is where I think the upper limit problem happened with me because on the one hand, it was what I felt like I expected, but I also felt like I was somehow undeserving of it actually happening. Uh, and so it became this very thorny push and pull between those two things. I think sadly, the experience of like getting in a relationship and not feeling worthy, especially like if as a kid, you were more awkward or didn't necessarily always feel like attractive or cool or interesting. I know personally in middle school, I was asked out as a joke a couple of times. And so it made me even like self-sabotage my relationships because I felt like any attention that was being shown my way was somehow insincere and somehow just all one giant prank and I've been talking with my friend about like a similar thing where she's talking to this guy and he's obviously very interested in her, really likes her. And every time she talks to me, she's just like, what if there's someone else? What if this, that? What if he doesn't actually like me? Or all these other things where I think is particularly common with like former awkward teenage girls. Yeah, well, let me uh, put on my little psychic hack, hat and just ask, does she pick a fight when she's feeling that way and wondering about it? No, she honestly just like denies it and will be like, I'm so silly, like I'm not right. She won't pick a fight. She'll just lean into like, I don't know, feign ignorance. Oh, not with you necessarily, but with, with the person who's interested in her. No. You know, if that relationship is going well, is that, no, she doesn't. Okay. All right. All right. Well, it sounds like she's um, wiser than, than I ever was. So good for her. <laughs> his upper limit and messed up everything long story short he was making conversations super weird by talking about his ex all the time and when my friend rightfully so pointed out that it was weird and making her uncomfortable he proceeded to blow up and say that it was nothing serious which is so humiliating and I think even more painful than a traditional breakup being relegated as not serious or not important literally feels so awful. But people that are telling you this are usually doing it out of their own insecurity and their own desire to self-sabotage. Tangent aside, this ended up being the perfect example of the upper limit problem. And I have been annoying my bestie with information about all of this. But I will say understanding how the upper limit problem works has made me able to much better process my relationships with other people and also to not blame myself so heavily when any kind of relationship, be it a friendship, a romantic 
romantic relationship, a coworker relationship, whenever that doesn't work out, it just has made things a lot clearer. And I hope this episode makes things more clear for you guys as well. Okay, bye. But to your point there, that those messages that we have, you know, when we were in middle school, when we were in elementary school about who we are and what we're worth, they carry with us kind of no matter what. And they make, they're the map that we use to make sense of the world. And given what you said, I can understand how, you know, you think about a relationship and you get into a relationship. There's a part of you that thinks like, well, what if this happens again? I'm waiting for the other shoe to drop. I also have been really struggling to start applying for jobs again because Mm -hmm. a lot of it is just fearing that you know my resume which says I was at a a customer service job for like three months that I couldn't even hold on to despite my actual story behind why Mm -hmm. I struggled there and like all these other things that I talk about in my podcast that kind of goes into the more like mental health issues that were at play I always just feel like people aren't gonna want to hire me and I've gotten a few interviews but uh, it took me a really long time to even like feel okay with applying for a job mm. because I just I just felt like I didn't even deserve it and I think I could have missed out on like a potential opportunity because of that. I think that sounds like a perfect example of the upper limit problem that the fear of being rejected, fear of not being worthy of the job keeps you from applying and finding that finding yourself in that situation so you know if we were to talk about ways we get out of it I think the first step is really recognizing that that's what's going on there for you um, is that there's a fear that's related to your work history and fear of what it would be like to get back in the job interview and maybe have an interviewer say you know can you tell me about this and you might not have the right answer. The most important thing is that people, when they realize that they self-sabotage, they get really mad at themselves. And they think that if I am really critical and hard on myself and beat myself up for self-sabotage, that it's going to help me to not do it the next time. But the reality is, is that the solution to the upper limit problem is self-compassion and self-love. And slowly starting to recognize that you're deserving of success and happiness and abundance. So that's the counterintuitive thing is that uh, the thing we think is going to be helpful, beating ourselves up is actually the least helpful thing we can do in that situation. Yeah, I remember going to this intention setting workshop around the time I was first releasing the podcast and Mm. we talked about things that we wanted to let go and the first thing I guess that came to my mind was punishment Mm. because we just have a tendency to punish ourselves whenever things go wrong and that's not the right way but I just think about how many times I've hurt myself for reasons that I didn't deserve to. Or like, for example, I go out to a restaurant. I eat a lot of food with my friends. I feel bad about eating too much. Mm. So instead, the next day, maybe I'll deprive myself of breakfast. Maybe I won't eat fully. That makes me more likely to go pig out at some other point. By hurting yourself, you make your problems worse. and then. As your problems get worse, 
you want to hurt yourself even more. You want to sabotage yourself even more. So it just leads to this positive feedback loop of each time you're doing these same things and you're expecting different results as if punishing yourself or being hard on yourself or sabotaging yourself, mm. like if that worked last the last time you did it or if that's ever really worked. Yeah, I mean, I think you just described that beautifully that it creates a vicious circle that the meaner we are to ourselves, the worse we feel and the less likely we are to be able to kind of get out of it. So that leads us to a question of what do we do instead? Yeah, I was gonna ask, what can people do who are struggling with the upper limit problem to be kinder to themselves? You know, I think there are lots of ways people can kind of go about self-compassion. And I think you hear mental health professionals talk about self-love, self-compassion all the time. And even I understand that. I remember thinking to myself, that's a great idea, but what does that actually mean? And so I often think an easy way of going about that is trying to envision somebody in your life that you know cares about you, that you know really loves you very much, and trying to kind of conjure up what they would say say to you in that situation, whether that is a friend, whether that's a parent, a grandparent, you know, if you want to make it Beyonce, like what would Beyonce say to you, even if it doesn't feel like it's landing a hundred percent, but try to sort of articulate what that person would say to you instead of the normal soundtrack in your head of criticism and self-reproach. I think another piece of it too is, um, you know, mentioned an intention setting thing. Uh, you know, I am very big into, you know, affirming what I want my day to look like. Uh, and so for me every day to combat my upper limit problem, uh, I say this thing to myself. I say, I commit to living my life and expanding ways of consciousness, love, creativity, abundance, and joy. And I am willing to do whatever it takes to experience these things in my life. Yeah, I don't know if I can remember all that personally, but, you know, just saying, like, be aware. Yeah. I think it would probably have the same effect. I'll have to think of, like, a really good phrase to use for that because I really do like that. I've been trying, and this has been helping a little bit, I've been putting sticky notes on my wall of like various things that I should remind myself of because maybe I'm not always good at saying it but if I write it down and put it up somewhere I'll think about this just saying nice things to yourself you say it enough times maybe you know you convince yourself that you are worthy and oh yeah I mean it always starts with you acting as if it were the case. And even if you don't entirely buy it, just keep doing it. And the repetition, I think, can be really powerful. And I love that about the affirmations. I mean, for anybody out there who's listening, be creative and figure out what is going to work for you. Yeah. So a lot of times the upper limit problem leads us to various fuck-ups in life. Mm. How do we try and repair those issues? And how can someone who has struggled in the past with the upper limit problem address their history and grow? The most important thing we can do is just take responsibility for ourselves. Um, you know, when we maybe pick a fight with someone we love because it's starting to feel good and we're not comfortable, I think kind of like owning that and coming back and and acknowledging it with the person and just sort of sharing with them that in certain ways, it's hard for me to be happy. It's hard for me to accept love. It's hard for me to 
be here and feel contentment. And that that can be really powerful. I think more likely, um, you know, there isn't the option or in a lot of circumstances, there's not the option of repair. And so we always have to just kind of look forward and think like, okay, I have really upper limited myself out of this relationship. I have upper limited myself out of this job. What do I want to do differently so that the next time around, I don't end up getting the same result because it is this cycle that we get in that will continuously make the same choices over and over and over again until we step out and decide to do something different. You know, I look at my own experiences and until, you know, I had relationship after relationship after relationship end. And, you know, some of them lasted five or six years. They were long-term things. And it wasn't until I sort of stopped and said, what am I doing here? Why are these always ending the same way? And I really recognized like, oh, I have a totally unreasonable expectation for my esteem needs that I'm placing on this person until I like learn to love myself, until I learn to sort of be responsible for myself financially, emotionally, physically, spiritually, I'm going to keep getting the same thing. And so I think it was really for me, uh, just sort of stepping back and changing things that allowed me to move on and at least not do the same thing over and over again. Okay, this is like totally like from me for me. I'm sure my listeners will also appreciate this question, but how do you learn to love yourself? Because that's really hard. Yeah, well, I think it is really, really hard. You know, the way that I, you know, think therapy can be helpful for it is that you have this corrective emotional experience where you're truly able to be yourself and your therapist or your counselor is able to sort of see you and accept you for who you are fully without trying to be the sort of best version of yourself. And when we see that we can be loved and accepted exactly as we are, something shifts inside of us uh, and that we can have this experience externally, but then we sort of internalize it as well too. You can sort of think, oh gosh, if my therapist can love me, so maybe I can love myself a little bit more. Understanding the upper limit problem and why we succumb to it has helped me try and break certain cycles of this problem that I have fallen prey to. I think the biggest takeaway I got from this interview was Dr. Metz saying that loving yourself can go hand in hand with being critical enough to look at what you need to do to actually take care of yourself in more than just a superficial way. One of the things that has been most pervasive through this podcast journey for me has been loneliness. And honestly, Dr. Metz helped me connect two dots that I really hadn't. The reason that I feel so lonely is because I dislike myself. And I assume that everyone else doesn't as well. And why would I even make an effort to reach out? Who would want to spend time with me? Will they still like me even though I don't have a job, that I don't have my own place, and that I don't really have any romantic prospects? I feel like a shell of myself, and I don't find being alone with my thoughts to be enjoyable. But my friends who do care for me love me. They love me when I'm at my most successful, but they also love me at my messiest. I know that each friend of mine is also a human person who goes through tough times and rough spots and weird, uncomfortable, awkward, sad emotions just like I do. And instead of keeping to myself and not putting myself out there, I made some changes and 
they've been small, but they've been really helpful. So I'll go over what I ended up doing. First thing I did was I got a part-time job hosting trivia at a local restaurant. So I would have something that doesn't involve my usual favorite talking points. Boys, jobs, and trauma. Then I set up a weekly coffee shop date with my friend Meredith, who is also applying for jobs and is back in our hometown. And when I interact with her, I find her to be so smart and charming and insightful and interesting. And she doesn't have a job either. And she lives back home too. So why limit myself to being alone when there is a way for me to be surrounded, to have community, to find solidarity, to deny myself the friendship and camaraderie that I so desperately need because of my own self-esteem has only made the feelings of inadequacy that already exist work. And I see myself saying, do I deserve to hit this limit I've imposed on myself of being a failure, of being lonely, of defining myself based on what I don't have. Thank you so much to Dr. Metz for reminding me what matters and for introducing me to such a great topic. I really am so appreciative of her. Well, I think um, I'll give you the advice I say to myself when I got on an airplane and then there's turbulence. Um, and that is just because there's fear doesn't mean there's danger. We're afraid of a lot of things that really aren't all that dangerous. And we sort of mistake the two. And just because you're afraid of trying something new, you're afraid of being in a relationship, you're afraid of being happy, doesn't mean that it's actually a, a dangerous situation. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Failing Down the Rabbit Hole. If you liked the episode, please rate, subscribe, and leave a review. Maybe even try listening to another episode if you really liked it. For any updates, you can follow the podcast on Instagram at Failing Down the Rabbit Hole and on Twitter and TikTok at Failing Down Pod. Oh, and by the way, tell your local failure you love them. Peace out.